please turn in your Bible tonight to Psalm 126. We are almost at the halfway mark, walking up the steps of the pilgrims, going into the temple. These Psalms of Ascent, as I will remind you, were Psalms that were sung en route to the temple from the outlying villages. These are songs that Jesus and his family would have sung corporately with all those who were traveling with him as they would go up the mountain to get to the Mount Zion where the temple was. And we've come now, there's 15 of these psalms, and we've come now tonight to Psalm 126. This is the seventh of 15, almost to the halfway mark. And so I want to begin by reading Psalm 126, a song of a sense. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This psalm is recording the second happiest time in the life of the nation of Israel. Now the first happiest time in the life of the nation of Israel would have been the Exodus. Whenever God delivered them from years of captivity down in Egypt as prisoners of, of war, as being held as captives or slaves under the Pharaohs. And so that's number one. But number two is this situation in Psalm 126. Now, notice verse 1 again with that in mind. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now, when the Lord brought back the captive ones, the question arises, from where? <laughs> where did the Lord bring them back from? And there is not unanimity among Bible scholars as to where he brought them back from. There's a, quite a bit of conjecture. John Calvin and many others uh, have convinced me that he's talking here about the return from Babylon after 70 years of captivity. And so I'm approaching this psalm with that as the background. Now, you, let me just remind you, I'm sure you are familiar to some degree with how that happened. Um, the children of Israel 
came under the disciplining hand of Jehovah because after uh, Solomon and David, uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, let me put it in the right order, where they had those three kings of the United Kingdom. And at the end of that reign of Solomon, you'll remember that there was a vying for control of Israel. The nation was united into 12 tribes, but they could not agree on who was going to be their leader after David and Solomon. And so it ended up with the kingdom divided. Ten kingdoms went north, two stayed south, and David was elected king of Judah, the south. Now, uh, not David, but, but one of David's um, sons, or relatives, was elected king of the, the south, the two tribes that stayed together. But it wasn't long until God's disciplining hand turned the screws a little tighter. And finally, in 722, the northern kingdom went down the tubes. That's Vincent's way of putting it. Uh, the, the northern kingdom was taken captive by Assyria. And honestly, the, the, the ten tribes, they're called the ten lost tribes of Israel. Uh, they're lost to us in history to some degree, although some would debate that. But they're, they're almost not heard of anymore. And then in 586, the southern kingdom spiraled out of control spiritually and morally, and God's alternative to letting them continue was to bring discipline upon them. And so Babylon, who was then the world ruler, took them captive. Actually, it, it took three stages for them to get there. In 604, they came and took the intelligentsia, like Daniel, and some of the brilliant young people. He, he took them to train them to serve in his court. And then in 592, I think, was the second wave. And then in 586, they came and took everybody except those who just simply were too poor or too old, and they left them. But in the process, they destroyed Jerusalem. You remember that. Destroyed the temple. Uh, just decimated the city and took the nation captive for 70 long years. Now, Jeremiah had prophesied that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Can you imagine how that was like? Remember some of the verses in the Old Testament where they, they, they said, they told us to sing our song and we, we put our harps, you know, on the willow tree and and we didn't have a song to sing because we're slaves. And so for 70 years they stay in captivity. And then out of the blue, almost like a dream come true. Did you hear what he said? He said, we were dreaming, he said. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. And he said, it's like a dream come true. All of a sudden, suddenly and dramatically, Babylon is defeated by Persia. And Persia, because they were more in affinity with the Jews in terms of their monotheism and other ways, they dealt graciously and kindly to the captives. And in fact, they even offered to finance their trip 
back to their homeland and finance the building, rebuilding of Jerusalem. Hey, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Hey, you could, they couldn't have dreamed that. And, 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 and when the king of Persia offered that option to the children of Israel who had been POWs for 70 years, they couldn't believe it. They said, am I dreaming this or is this real? And sure enough, the Persian king began to encourage them to come back. Now, you've got to remember this. They had been captive for 70 years. I'm 72 years old. That means I'd have been two years old when I went to Babylon. There's a lot of them that opted not to come home. They had businesses, they had houses, they had land, and they were entrepreneurs. They just were by nature. And, and, and they, were, they had settled in, and some of them didn't want to come back. But some of them did. And so God, just like God used in his discipline, he used three waves to take them out. He uses three waves to bring them back in. Now all of this is in Ezra and Nehemiah where he takes Zerubbabel first, remember? The three tracks. He brings, this is like 532, 534. Zerubbabel comes back and he is given the assignment to rebuild the temple. Because in 586, when the Babylonians, Babylonians took them captive, they destroyed the temple. I mean, they left one, not one stone upon another. If you've been to Jerusalem, you'll see some of those huge stones. It was amazing how they decimated the city. And so Zerubbabel came and started rebuilding the temple. And you remember the story, don't you, how some of the old timers, after they started building the temple, the old timers looked at it and they remembered the former, the former temple and they just began to weep. Oh, this is temple won't compare to the one we had before. But then there were other younger people who never had had a temple before, and they thought it was great. Nothing much has changed. And it's, and it has, we got the, the older crowd, the younger crowd, and it's a miracle of God when we, we can bring our past and our present and our future and blend it together in a fellowship. I think that's wonderful. But Zerubbabel came, began to rebuild the temple. Then Ezra brought the next step. And Ezra's group was to rebuild the religious life of Israel. Ezra was a priest and he began to reestablish the Jewish religion. And then last of all came Nehemiah. Now notice it took 90 years for this restoration. Now I'm, I want to tell you that because I think that's an important principle. Notice what God said here in verse 1. He said, when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion. Don't think that that means in one fell swoop. God doesn't always do his work of restoration overnight. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he does it in stages. Sometimes God can do more in five, or anytime he can, but sometimes God decides to act, and in five seconds he can do more than we've done in three years or 30 years. He can do that. But sometimes God chooses to work out his purpose, and he did this generationally. He brought them back from Zerubbabel to Ezra to Nehemiah. Now when Nehemiah came back, what was his assignment? Somebody tell me. Building the wall. Building the temple. Building the religious life. And rebuilding the wall. Now he's, God calls that restoration. Restoration. Hey, can I tell you this? God is a God of restoration. God is a God of 
of second chances. Amen. Aren't you glad of that? That God doesn't give up on us. He is patient. He's long-suffering. He's kind. And even though Israel had blown it time and time again, God said, I'm going to give you another chance. I think of old Simon Peter when I think of that, you know. Oh, Simon Peter thought he had blown it for good. He cursed and denied the Lord. And, and he was going back fishing, man. He was giving up preaching. He's giving up on this religious thing. And the Lord said, go and tell Peter that I'm alive. You know, he said, he said tell, I want you to tell everybody, but especially go and tell Peter. I love that little phrase because God loved Peter even though he had blown it terribly. And he went to him and said, I just want you to know I still love you. I know you denied and cursed, said you never knew, but I still love you. So the, the first three verses of this psalm is a, is a rejoicing in what God has done for them. It's a rejoicing in God's ch choice to restore them from captivity. And the, the last three verses, and by the way, that's the two divisions of the psalm, verses uh, 1 through 3 is rejoicing over what God has done, and verses 4 through 6 is rejoicing over what we think God is going to continue to do in the future. Okay, so that gives you a little breakdown in how the psalm is put uh, together. Now, I want you to think with me as we just kind of look at the outline real quickly. I want you to think about dreams that come true. Cyrus came to the throne in Persia. But the people don't give Cyrus credit for this miracle of them coming back to Israel. Notice what it says. When the, what's that next word? Verse one, Psalm 126, verse 1. When the, <laughs> he doesn't say, when Cyrus became king, he let us go home. He doesn't say, when we grew our army big enough that we could protect ourselves, then we got our people home. Do you see that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In your English Bible, when you have all letters capital, when the word Lord is all capital, that's the covenant name Jehovah. And you see that's there. It's, it's our God. It's Jehovah God. It's the God who, who formed us. It's the God who sustains us. He's the God who provides for us. The God who chose us. He said, the Lord brought us out of captivity. Now, the, the, the uh, story is told of a couple of rowdy kids who wanted to play tricks on this older widow woman. And every day they would listen to her through the door, through the window, as she would sit at her kitchen table and pray, Lord, please provide for my needs today. One day, they snuck up under the window and heard her say, Lord, would you give me today my daily bread? So they thought they'd pull a trick on her. So they went and bought her a sack full of groceries and slipped in the house and put them on the table. And when she came back to the kitchen and saw the sack of groceries, she said, 
Oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you. At that, the boys rushed inside and said, You old bag, Jesus didn't bring them groceries. We did. She looked at them and said, Oh, yes. Jesus brought them all, just like he said he would. The Lord gave me the groceries. He just used the devil to deliver them. (laughs) Well, God brought back the children of Israel out of captivity. We might want to say Cyrus did it, or the army did it, but that's not it. The Lord did it. See? God works providentially behind the scenes, but it's the Lord who is at work. I, I don't know about you, but that blesses me. Because sometimes when I look at circumstances, I, I, I have difficulty sometimes seeing the Lord's hand. But it's not up to me to see His hand. He's given me enough truth in the Word of God that even though I can't see it, I can know that it's true, that He is working behind the scenes. And all things work together for good. Not, all, not that all things are good, no. But all things work together to accomplish a good purpose to them that love the Lord. Well, so dreams, he's talking about dreams here that come true. Seventy long years in captivity. And then in a moment, in a moment, they were shocked. They thought, my goodness, we must have been dreaming. I had a lady come up to me one time on Sunday morning before I was to preach. She said, oh, Brother Tommy, I had a dream last night about you. I said, oh, you did? She said, yes. I dreamed you sung a special in church this morning. I said, ma'am, you didn't have a dream. You had a nightmare. (laughs) I'm kind of like what Dr. Rogers used to say. He said, on the soundboard at Bellevue, they had a sign that said, when Dr. Rogers sings, turn mic off. <laughs> That's kind of the way, way it is with me. Dreams that come true. You know, I've had a few of those things. I know you have. You, we could all take stop here and give testimony how God has worked in wonderful ways in your life. And it doesn't happen all the time. It, 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 honestly, it hasn't happened to me often. But when he does, it fills your heart with joy. And it almost makes you just laugh out loud. Can, can I just tell you one of those experiences? I, I, I don't really tell us a whole lot because I, I, can't, I can't explain it. And I got some of my preacher brothers that look at me like a calf at a new gate when I tell it. So you form your own opinion about it. That's, I'm not trying to defend anybody or anything. I'm just telling you what happened to me. About seven years ago, I'd been pastoring for 47 years. and I was in a great church, had a great job description. I was a teaching pastor. I was doing what I love to do. In fact, the, the job description was written for me. The, and my senior pastor was one of my closest friends. I could, I suppose, stayed there until Jesus took me home. But there was a restlessness in my heart. God was beginning to put a burden on my heart. At that time, my daughter, her family were in Mumbai, India. And we had been a number of times, and God just kept putting that country on my heart. And I was training pastors, and 
I just was captured by the notion that for the rest of my life, I wanted to give my life to training pastors, whether in India or anywhere else, and itinerant ministry, if he wanted to use me here. I didn't know where God was going to use me, but I just knew God was leading me to something that scared me, to be honest with you. And uh, I like to eat. <laughs> you know, I enjoy three meals a day and uh, all of that good stuff. And I, I didn't know how God was going to do it. And Rose and I were in prayer about that. We were in uh, Panama City, Florida. I had quite a few of my family members there. We went to our favorite seafood place. We do it one time every time we go, and I pay the bill, and then I, you know, I, I do all kinds of stuff to raise money to pay that bill. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But it, that, that's the big meal we have when we go to Panama City. So we had a big table, and we were enjoying those uh, frog legs and everything else they had on that menu because they had everything. And we were just talking and having a good time. My grandson's here by me, my brother. And um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this little lady comes up to me. Never seen her before. She says to me, and she invaded my space, by the way. You know how you're a little uncomfortable when people get too close? She didn't mind. She bent over, got right in my face, and she said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, well, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, I, I've got a, a word for you. I said, you do? She said, yes, I do. You know that thing that's burdening your heart? That thing that's so heavy on you? And I don't remember the exact words, but basically the sense of it was, I, I got them, I wrote them down, but I'm not going to put it out and read it. I've kept it in my pocket ever since. She said, the Lord wants me to say to you, stop worrying. Follow the Lord. He'll take care of every need you have. And she turned and walked away. She didn't say, what's your name? She didn't say, my name is. That was it. And she went back over, sat down, and started eating her crab legs. I mean, just like, you know, it was nothing. And I, my jaw dropped. I've never had that happen to me. Never. How she knew I was a preacher, I don't know. I don't really care. We hadn't been talking about church and she was way across from me. All I know is this. I walked out of that restaurant walking on air. The decision was made. There was no more debate. God used that little lady if she walked in this door today, I wouldn't recognize her. Don't know her name. She doesn't know my name. But I believe she was obedient to something God had put in her heart to say. And I walked out, and I looked at Rose, and she looked at me, and I said, that's it. But, you know, I said, I feel like I'm dreaming. I feel like I've just been in a dream. And that's the way these people felt. They felt like, now, has that happened to me every other week? No. Every other year? No. Every decade? No. And so I'm not, I'm not lifting that up as a standard we are to try to attain. You can't do that. But sometimes God will break through and give you a special 
experience like that just to strengthen you and encourage your faith. There have been other times when I've wanted a word desperately and I didn't get it. See what I'm saying? So I, I, I'm hesitant to share that, but I want you to know I, I look at that experience kind of like this, this song. I was like I was dreaming, but God, God broke through and gave me a, a word that was strong enough that I could base the rest of my life upon following. Now, I, I just call that dreams that come true. The second thing I see in verses 2 and 3 is what I call demonstration, demonstrations that challenge tradition. Now, here's what, what I'm trying to say there. I may not have said it very well, but when the Lord restores His people, sometimes, sometimes we break tradition and we step outside our comfort zone and challenge tradition by the way that we respond to that gracious intervention of God into our life. Now notice how these people responded. He says, verse 2, Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with joyful shouting. Our mouth was filled with laughter. I, I think sometimes we, we have the impression that you know, church, the church house ought to be so reverent and silent, you know, and don't speak unless you speak a prayer and, and you know, that kind of thing. And, and I'm glad to see that there has been returned to the church a note of joy in our worship. Aren't you? I mean, I, I grew up uh, in little Southern Baptist churches and, and I, I love the worship I grew up on, but really God has, has really done a new work in my heart in the last 20 years in learning how to worship. You know, I, I, I just, sometimes when God has done something incredibly, uh, incredible in your life and heart, you just can't always contain it, you know. I, I, I don't think everybody has to raise their hands and all of that, uh, but, but I, you know, I've, I've learned to, to, to express my worship without being intimidated with what other people think. You know, I, I don't want to offend people, but I want to worship God. And I didn't come to church to make you happy. I came to church to worship Him. Amen. Now, if you raise your hands or you don't raise your hands, that's not the issue. But what I'm saying is that when God, however you express your greatest joy, and some people express their joy differently from other people. And so that's fine. Let's just be tolerant and loving and, and accepting of how each other express our worship. Well, that's my little say. So, you know, I'm just interim, so you won't, you can't do anything but fire me and I'll be gone. <laughs> and and I, I, what I'm saying is this worshiping just as strongly as you are. But if folks around you raise your hand, don't judge them. You know, sometimes I let the Spirit of God quench me because I say, well, if I raise my hands, I'm going to offend somebody. Or I'm going, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm, I don't like to offend people. But I'd rather offend you than to offend him. Okay. All right, that's my little speech. Uh, I think you can see why this psalm became one of the psalms of ascent. I mean, here they are, you know. They, they're reliving what God has done for them. Uh, 
Uh, the second thing I want you to see, demonstrations of the tradition is number, it's number two. Um, and how sometimes our demonstration of, of gratefulness for the way God's restored our life, it may vary. We may not all uh, express it like, just like the psalmist says here. But let's be patient with one another. Uh, listen to what the, uh, the, uh, the, the third issue here uh, that I want to share with you is uh, uh, in, in number three is a desire that consequences thrive. He, he's, wanting, he's wanting the Lord to do again what he did in the past. Let, let's read it. Restore, verse 4, our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now he says up there in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us, we're glad. Now circle that word we. And then go back up to verse 2 and I will show you something else. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said, notice that, they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for who? Them. And then he says, the Lord has done great things, verse 3, for us. Now notice this. Who recognized the hand of God first in this psalm? Them or us? Them. You know who the them is? Them is the unbeliever. Them is the pagan. Them is the other nations. The work God did in restoring them, verses 1 and 2, was so obvious that the unbelieving world could not deny it. Now, throughout history, church history, you know what church history is? Religious history, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, religious history is a history of revival. It's a history of God showing up in great revival. It lasts for a short period of time, and then the people uh, live in light of that revival for a while, and then they go down again. And so God will show up again in revival. You know, we, we saw the great revival in the, mid, uh, in the mid-16th century with the Reformation. Uh, uh, Luther, Calvin, uh, Luther in Germany, Calvin in uh, France, Zwingli in uh, Switzerland, uh, John Knox in Scotland, these were all individual men that God used. Again, remember I said this is a, it took 90 years to bring about the, the return of Israel. It took, it took 100 years or more to see the Protestant Reformation take root. And a lot of people died in, 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 in that period of time. That's such an interesting period of time to me. But, but it was a great turn. For, for, listen, for 600 years, Yes. No. For a thousand years. What do we call that period of time from, you know, 600 B.C. until about 1600? It's called, part of it's called the Dark Ages. It was a period when the church almost, almost destroyed itself. And if you study church history from that period of time, there's not much light. It's all darkness. And it gets darker and darker and darker until finally it gets so bad that God begins to raise up Martin Luther who nails his thesis on the Wittenberg Castle and, and, and he lists uh, uh, there uh, these, uh, uh, what is it, I forget how many it was. How many? 
95 Theses, that's right. 95 Theses. And, and, and Luther says, uh, I stand on the Word of God, uh, I, I can stand nowhere else. And, and, and he began to, to raise around him, disciple around him, some other great, wonderful minds, men, deeply committed. And God began to restore. That's what verse 1 says. Restore. And, and, and the people were just like they were in a dream. Or, am I dreaming? Or is it, and people were so anxious that they would flood these cities where these men were pastoring. And, and, and some of them, many of them were killed. And many of these men were hunted down like animals and killed. And if I just started and delineated our Baptist history, you would, you would be amazed. Great, great men that believe like you and I do that were killed from both Catholic side and Reformation side. We were shot at from both sides. All because they believed and they preached what you and I believe and what I'm preaching tonight. It was like a dream, they said. Okay. Well, y'all are listening too good. I got to finish up here. He, uh, he talks about two images here. The, the desire that the consequences thrive. Uh, let, me, let me talk about verse 4. First of all, here's the first image. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. That's the Negev, Negev, N-E-G-E-V, I believe. The streams of the south. And that, it, it, if you've been to the Holy Land, south of Jerusalem, down toward the Dead Sea, is a wilderness. It's a barren wilderness. And uh, there were in this desert, in the Negev, there are, in the summer, there are these, and we, we have them here in Mississippi, they're creeks, look like creeks, but in the summer they go dry. You, you, you've seen them. And it's just sand. But then when the rainy season comes, they flood. I mean, they come up, off, and that's what he's talking about here. They were so dependent upon the rains. And, and he says here that our captivity, we were dry. We were like that sand bed in the Negev. There was no water. And, and here's what he's praying. He's saying, restore our, our captivity, O Lord, uh, as the streams in the south. He's saying, we want you. And, and by the way, today, that whole, that whole place is like an oasis. Israel has gone down there, and they've, they've irrigated that place. It's some of the richest soil in the world. And here, he's praying, Lord, Lord send the rains. Send the rains. That's another way of saying, send your spirit upon us. And, and then he gives this last picture. He moves from the streams in the desert to uh, verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping carrying his bag of seed shall indeed come again with a shout of joy bringing his sheaves with him. Here's what he's I think part of what he's saying here. Lord, you in your grace brought us back. You did it. We didn't do it. Cyrus didn't do it. The army didn't do it. Lord, you did it. It was an act of your power. It was, it was, an, in, it was an intrusion in time by your power. Now, Lord, we want you to do it again. But Lord, in doing it again, I know that it's not going to be without responsibility on us. 
if we really want God to do it again, then we've got to be willing to be used of God to do our part. Now what is our part? They that, he's saying, we must go weeping, bearing seed. We are to go and carry the message of the true God. We're to be witnesses. In other words, yes, God can do it on his own. But there are, there's a responsibility he puts upon the people of faith. And he says, he who goes, that's the first thing, we got to go. In tears, carrying his bag of seed, that's, that's what God has put in us, our testimony, our seed. Shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. That's the kind of an illustration of this I, I heard this week and study about a, a farmer who uh, at the end of the, of the year was his family had nothing to eat and he had no money. And it was like they were getting desperate to have uh, anything to eat or uh, any food coming in for the future. And they were down to their last little bag of seed. And one day their son came in just overjoyed. And he said, Dad, look what I found. Look what I found. And his dad looked at it and immediately recognized the bag. He said, Dad, I've got some seed that we can have some more meals with. And his dad said, no, son. Those seed are not for eating. Those seeds are for planting. And if we eat those seed right now, we won't have anything to eat next year. And then attached to that story was this conclusion. He said, can you imagine that farmer, as he would go out to cast those seeds, how that with his family back home, hungry, that he that goeth forth, weeping, sacrificing, really, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing. For 50 years, I've been trying to get back to Barracks 410 on the island of Okinawa. Not physically, but spiritually. Because I experienced the greatest revival in my 72 years in Barracks 410 on the island of Okinawa. I saw God do a work in that barracks unlike anything I've ever seen in any church I've ever pastored. Guys were saved left and right. I was a 22-year-old airman, no class. <laughs> I had no class. <laughs> I was a 22-year-old 20, uh, sergeant. And a lot of those brand new Christians thought I was a, you know, I was an old Christian. And they would bring guys, at, literally, out of the chow line to my room. Say, he needs to know Jesus. <laughs> and I love that military freedom. You know, you don't have to put, put on a face. You either are or you aren't a Christian. And they brought them to my room, left and right. And we saw guys come to Christ. Jewish, Jewish airmen come to Christ. Pagans come to Christ. 
Many of them scattered all over the country in, in missionary work, pastoring. Many of them, like me, they're retired now. But it was a sovereign work of God. I've never seen anything like it. I've been praying for it to happen for 50 years in the church. I haven't seen it yet. Not too long ago, the Lord jarred me one day and said, Tommy, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking back to 1969. You need to be looking to tomorrow. You're not going to find revival looking in the past. You're going to find revival looking in the future and looking up to God. Because the same God that did it in Barracks 410 50 years ago is the same God that can do it today in DeSoto County. And he might even be able to do it in Shelby County. Might be a little harder challenge. But he's the same God. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to leave the life lessons up to you. Because, you see, I really can't tell you what maybe God has shown you as life lessons. Something you can apply in your heart and life.